0: been about two years now that we've had the Monday morning message with a theme who told you about or who told you that according to the subject we're talking about and I was wondering if I'd missed some things and so I put up on Facebook if you had another idea something we've not covered fire away and I've I've got about a dozen 15 really good ones here so keep that in mind and you can send them to Patrick at OurSafeHarbor.com or if you are a friend of mine or follow me on Facebook, or if you follow the church on Facebook, you can also put it there. Says to send us a question, and if it's something we've already covered, we'll let you know, all right? That said, a question which comes up from time to time was the first one out of the gate, and that was, it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, but it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart now that seems to go against our concept of God as love and God does not tempt anyone as the New Testament tells us. And so how could God harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, it's actually more complicated than that because I just decided to print out a bunch of God hardened the heart of, and then they send and there's a lot. That's only one, and I've got another piece of paper down here with my scribbles on it and the light. Um, He hardened Pharaoh's heart, not just once, by the way, in Exodus 4, but also twice in Exodus 7. uh, I'm sorry, three times in Exodus 7. He also hardened it in Exodus 8 um, three times, and then two times in Exodus 9, three times in Exodus 10, um, once in Exodus 11, once in Exodus 14. Um, well, actually, no, three times in Exodus 14. I'll get my story right here in a bit. It's Monday. Give me a break. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 2. He hardens the, the king of Heshon's heart. Joshua 11. It was the word It was the, uh, of the Lord to harden their hearts so that they would not uh, listen to God. He, he made them come against Israel in battle and be destroyed. And in um, Psalm 105, an exceptionally tough passage. Psalm 105, verse 25, He hardened their heart to hate His people, to deal craftily with His servants. What, what is going on here? And we haven't even talked about uh, Isaiah 63 and Proverbs 21. So it wasn't just one time. What is going on? Well, it may not be quite as sinister as you think. And here's why and we have an example by the way to really show how this works whenever the Old Testament is being written some people call it a starlight age because not a lot of light on the plan of God is coming together I think that that's probably an over exaggeration but God is rolling out who he is and who we're supposed to be And that's why rules on things seem to shift and change and open up. Uh, Some things which are horrifying are then shoved to the side. We've talked about how some things that seemed very blatantly racist. Well, they were, they were blatantly racist. Uh, The Moabites could not come into the temple to the 10th generation, that the Ammonites were the same and bad and that these people must be destroyed. And then you look in the line of Jesus in Matthew and you find some of these people plugged right in there. And God's kind of saying no, 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 and more and more opening up of the the love of God in the law of God. But all that, know that. So their information's incomplete. Fair enough. So is ours. But we have Jesus, which is a huge advantage. They didn't get to see God in the flesh, walking around, talking. How does he How does he respond to a Samaritan? For goodness' sake, how does he respond? an occupation soldier, a Roman, or an occupational soldier who's um, a, a, like a centurion, which would be more like a senior NCO. How does he deal with these people? They didn't have that. And they believed that their God was so vast that he controlled everything. And there, here's the thing. There are writers in the Old Testament who don't feel that way and who feel that a certain battle went a certain way because they sacrificed to their gods, and so they won the day. Uh, That this God is more powerful over here than there. But you begin to see the concept, getting into them, that God above all gods, He is the most high God, and that He's in control of all things. When you start down that path, which is a great path, wonderful path, but when you start down that path, you can... Overspeak for God. That's exactly what Eve did, if you remember. Whenever uh, Satan said, Are you allowed to eat from every tree in the garden? And Eve goes, Well, we can eat for all of them except for that one, and we're not even allowed to touch it. She, God didn't say you couldn't touch it. She overspoke for him. So it's kind of like if somebody walks up to you today and says, Do you believe that uh, dancing is all right and you go, well, maybe this kind of dancing, but that kind of dancing? No, in fact, I don't think dancing is okay at all. You should stay at home and be covered from head to toe. You've way overspoken for God. People tend to do that. Calvinists do that. And it hurts the reputation of God because they will say God is, like uh, R.C. Sproul famously said, if there was one atom in the universe, over which God was not exerting his will and absolute control, then there, you know, God is not God and everything's horrible. And that's a horrible thing to say because it is chemicals in the brain that are being used to plan rapes and murders and wars. Those things use atoms. Are we saying then that God is in charge of those? Yeah, in various degrees, that's what Calvinism says. I'm not a Calvinist at all, period. But the Old Testament sounded a little Calvinist because they wanted to speak up for their God. Therefore, they had to find a way to make God really be behind everything that happened. And so uh, if somebody did something horrible, how did that happen? It must have been in God's plan. So he must have chosen them. And and again, sounding like a lot of Calvinists, you know, God already knew that they were not destined for heaven. So he He used them as an object of evil to do his purpose. And we have a really stark one of that in First Kings 22. When God looks down at Ahab and says, well, we got to get rid of him. And he looks around to, he looks around heaven saying, all right, we got anybody down here that'll tempt him and lie to him so he'll get in trouble. And there's a a lying spirit Uh, one version of it says it goes I'll do it God says go get him now that doesn't look good for God does it it doesn't sound like something that Jesus would say but I want to give you an example and show you what happened to cause it all right and this may help I hope it does certainly helps me we know if you're a church person and, you've re- and you actually learn Bible in your church, um, you, you know the story of David numbering Israel and that was a sin. That's actually a lot more complicated than that. Israel was supposed to be numbered at a regular interval and David had skipped the ones that had been ordered by God. So he was already just dismissing God, just absolutely not paying attention to God. And then when he decided he wanted to figure out how how many people, an army, my army, my chariots, my horses, the census were supposed to be taken for good administration of the people, not to be taken to make sure my guys can beat up your guys. And David just stood that on his head and did it the way he wanted to. So punishment comes, right? Well, um, who's the one that incited David to make that numbering that bad census well we have two stories in 2nd Samuel chapter 24 verse 1 the Bible says "And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he God incited David against them saying go and number Israel and Judah what that's awful, because then he comes and punishes them with a plague that kills many, many innocent Israelites. So if you're wondering why so many of your atheist friends, when they just read the Bible, they come up with a horrible story and nothing like that you read, it's because of things like this. But wait, that story is told again, as many are. Uh, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings tell a story. First and second chronicles tell the same stories, but a whole different way. And it's the why that I think you'll find interesting. In 1 Chronicles 21, 1, then Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Now wait. 2 Samuel 24:1, God did it. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, 1 satan did it well why the change in the story it's actually pretty cool to see and understand this israel had been trying to follow god and they've been doing a bad job of it as we all do it's, this is not anti the jews at all come on people all of us blow this right so they keep learning but god's love never ends up it never never quits His wrath always has an end, his love never does. Love will outlast the wrath. Check it out, it's true in every instance. Now the people have been put into captivity and this one looks, this is a game changer. We've already lost the 10 Northern tribes. And the two that are surviving have been in Babylon now for generations. And in fact, when they are released to go back home, a lot of them decide no, and they just stay in Babylonia. But in, during those generations in Babylon, and as they get close to understanding we're going to be released to go back home, build a temple, reestablish wor- worship to Yahweh, they, they had some work to do because their people had forgotten who they were, who God was, how to follow God, and so they needed, they needed to work out their theology and get it down along with their history. And in Babylon, they had run across a concept which was not totally unknown to the Hebraic people, but it was really pretty much unknown and rarely talked about. And that is a concept of Satan. Satan is not mentioned in those first chapters. Well, we always think he is, but no, it's a serpent. Now, later, the book of Revelation will say that serpent was Satan, but that wasn't talked about during the Old Testament. They didn't see snakes as harbingers of the devil. They, they didn't really have a concept of the devil. They knew that God had a council, and you can overblow this if you, do, if you want to and I don't want you to, but he had a council, and he, they know that there were other players uh, on the field. And that one of them in the book of Job, his his job seems to be to make sure God doesn't get too enamored with these people down here and letting them know, no, this this guy, he's only following you for the goodies. You know, that's that's it. You don't wanna, this, this is a bad plan. Satan was a prosecutor. He was a tattletale. That was what he was doing. But that's about it. But in Babylon, they came across the Babylonian people and the Mesopotamian people had a very well-developed concept of evil spirits. Before, they had no way of being able to assign blame for bad things happening. Now they were seeing, well, we're not alone in the universe. And some of the things out there in the universe do not like us at all. So now they have beings that they can talk to and say, talk about rather. Oh, that's the devil, also known as Satan. Sometimes he refers to himself as a morning star, and he is—he's um, out there tempting the people of God. And when bad things happen, it's because the devil is causing it. And so, by the time First Chronicles is written, they no longer have to find a way to make God be in charge of everything, including why evil happens, when it happens, and to whom it happens. Now they know there's another player on the field. His name is Satan, among others. And they, from then on, uh, all the way through the intertestamental period, and you find it full blown, as soon as you enter the New Testament, the oldest gospel is thought to be Mark. Um, There are people who fight about that, but most people will say that. The The earliest surviving gospel is Mark. And what happens in chapter one? Already, Jesus versus demons. Completely not done in the Old Testament. By the time it got to Jesus, their theology had changed and it had started in Babylon. But that also allowed them to rewrite their stories to allow God not to be the bad guy. I find that wonderful. As we progress through, we're gonna learn stuff. And as we learn stuff, We're supposed to change what we think and how we attribute to anything good or evil or even what we consider good or evil. We're supposed to be continually processing. We are pilgrims and strangers on this earth. Therefore, we're supposed to keep moving. And that includes our minds and our theology. So, now you know why from big sections it says God-hardened But then it says Satan hardened. You got it now. All right. You have a great rest of your week. I'll get working on the rest of these things. All right. Cheers.